Good morning, church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We appreciate you for another time in your presence. Lord, we thank you for bringing all of us together again to come and learn at your feet. Lord, as we go into your word, we pray that you teach us by yourself. We pray that you open the eyes of understanding to comprehend your word and give us the grace to live them out every day of our lives. To be all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So I'll be bringing the word of God to us today from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, from 17 to 32. And it's titled, Put on the New Self. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a very important book in the Bible, like every passage of the Bible. But for me, it's so special to me because I remember when I became a Christian, it's one book that I studied for the first time. And um, the prayers in Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians, chapter 1, were the prayers I was praying every day. For God to give us understanding of his word as we continue in our Christian journey. And I remember also in 2017, we came to Australia in 2016, November. 2017, January, we were looking for a church to join. And as we were searching everywhere, we saw that um, Liverpool Baptist Church will be starting study of Ephesians <laughs> in February in the evening. That's why I started coming for the evening service and became a member of this church. So Ephesians is um, it's a book that I can divide in two parts, chapter 1 to 3 and chapter 4 to 6. Chapter 1 to 3 speaks about what we believe. And chapter 4 to 6 focuses on how to behave. One to three speaks about our creed. Four to six focuses on our deeds. Because what we believe is actually what influences how we behave. As our creed that will influence our deeds. And when Paul was starting the book of Ephesians, when he was starting to speak about what we believe, what God has done for us in Christ, he started with thanking God in Ephesians 1, chapter 3, when he says, um, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And he moved further to pray for us to understand what God has done for us. That's Ephesians 1, from verse 15, that says, um, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, should give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of understanding be enlightened, that I may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. And when he was rounding up, he also round up that section in chapter 3 with prayer. I think that was the session that Pastor Paul 
taught us before he traveled. That says, um, I bow my knees before the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth derived their name. That in the riches of his glory, that should strengthen us with might through his spirit in the inner man. And he said that, uh, that, the, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that we should be rooted and grounded in love. And we have all power with all God's people to comprehend the depths, the height, the length, and the breadth of God's love. And to know the love of God that surpasses men's knowledge. And for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And the moment he prayed this, I also said that... Uh, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you think or ask of Him, according to that power that dwells in us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that can make all these things so happen. And He jumps straight to chapter four to start telling us how to respond to what God has done for us, how to respond in the way that we live. And instead of which, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. Our life should match up with what God has done for us. So today we'll be looking at verse 17 to 32. Because from last week, after telling us to walk in that way, he said that God also made provision for us by giving us men to teach us to live the righteous life. He said he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That their job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And they will keep doing this until we come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to reach the measure or the fullness of Christ. So, he has done it for us. He has also given us men to teach us to become more like Christ. So, chapter 4, 17-32, now gives us practical instructions on how to live this life. And from chapter 4 all the way to 6, it's about instruction in Christian living. So let's look at these instructions step by step. Verse 17 to 19, say, live no longer like the world. So I tell you this. I'm reading verse 17 to 19. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. 
And this is the life of an unbeliever. This is the life that we ourselves were living before Christ saved us. And can be described just the way he has put it over here. Footer in thoughts and darkened in the understanding. Separated from the life of God. Ignorant through the adding of their heart against God. People don't want to hear anything about God. They want to add in their heart against God and they don't want to even acknowledge that even God exists or has anything to do with their life. They have no sense of shame and they are given over to lustful pleasure and they are full of greed. They never have enough. But this is not the way of life that we have learned in Christ. We have come in into a new way of life in Christ. We are now being taught according to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And now we are to follow that truth that is in Christ. So verse 20 to 21 says that however, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. When we came to Christ, the teaching that we receive through the scriptures and through the gift of men that God has given unto us is to live a life of Christ, to start learning from Christ, to start walking according to the way of righteousness. And Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, told us to learn from him and will find rest for our souls. Matthew 9, verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because in Christ, that's the only place we can find truth. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth can be found in nowhere else except in Christ Jesus. And John 1.17 establishes that for us. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I always love this word, grace and truth. Jesus gave us truth, but also gave us the grace that will enable us to live out the truth. He gave us the power to help us to walk in the way of truth. And the truth that we have received in Christ through the scripture is that we should put off our whole self. That lifestyle, that thinking, that culture, that frame of mind that we had when we were in the world and to embrace the righteousness that is in Christ. So verse 22 of Ephesians 4 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. The desire of the old self is deceitful. It might look appealing to men, but it's a deceit that makes people to move away from God. 
we cannot continue to walk with Christ and still put on the garment of our whole self. We have to throw something away that may embrace something new. We have to throw away the ways of the world to embrace the ways of Christ. We must get rid of them, of everything that belongs to our former way of life, as you can see in Colossians 3, 5-9. Colossians 3, 5-9 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and it starts naming them one by one, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this way. So it is given that Christians used to walk like that in their previous way of life. It's not expected for us to be walking in this way again. So you used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. But now you must also get, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self, which is practices. So it is given that Christians have taken off the old self, which is practices. That's it. That's where we're supposed to be. And that's what the scripture is saying to us. So as we put on the old self, we must put on the new one. If we put off a cloth, we are not expected to be naked. We are expected to put on something new. Put, as we put on the old one, we are supposed to put on the new self, with the new nature that the Lord has brought forth in us when we became born again through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So put on a new self. Verse 23 to 24. It says, To be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. The new self that God has put inside of us is created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Because a person regenerated in Christ is a new creation. Something new has happened to him. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, If a man is in Christ, the new creation has come. The hood has gone, the new is here. Regeneration is bringing forth a new person totally out of whom we used to be. is a new creation entirely. It's not, God is not refurbishing or recycling what was there. It's a new creation. A new heart and a new spirit has been given to us in Christ. The hard heart of stone has been removed and the tender and obedient heart of flesh has been given unto us. And that's what Ezekiel 36, 26-27 says to us it says I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you 
I will remove from your heart, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God is saying that I've taken away the whole heart of stone, give you the new heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you that will enable you to be obedient to my word. That's the grace of God in us. So that new creation is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's the work of grace in our hearts that the grace of God keeps doing in us. It's teaching us that grace of God. The Bible says it teaches us to say no to unrighteousness and ungodliness. To say no to the old way of life and to embrace the new way of life. Grace is a teacher that keeps teaching us every day. Titus 2, 11 to 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age so from verse 25 to 32 we'll go through six different areas of our lives where the bible says we should take off the old self and put on the new self and I'll be representing each of these six areas with words starting with letter T so that it's easy for us to remember. So let's go to the new way of life. So the first area of our lives is the area of truthfulness. Verse 23, 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. That means falsehood is a cloth that we need to put away. Now that we have come to Christ, we must speak truth. When we speak, people should be able to believe us and rely on our words because we are Christians and we belong to God. Because the Bible begins to know that God, who is our Father, He hates a lying tongue. In Proverbs chapter 6, 16 to 17, speaks about things that God hates. It runs down to 18 and 19, but we'll stop at 17 for today. So there are six things the Lord hates, and seven that are detestable to him. Empty eyes, a lying tongue. A lying tongue is an abomination to God. I must understand that. Now that we have come to Christ, the Bible says we should put that off and put on the garment of truthfulness. And we know that God doesn't lie. He's always committed to his promises. That's why we can read the Bible, believe the promises, and be well assured that whatever we read is true because we know that God doesn't, doesn't lie. And that's what makes him different from us. Numbers 23, verse 19. Say, God is not human that he should lie. 
not a human being that should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is no. Because when he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills it. And that's a big indictment on humans that will lie and God says, I'm different from you. And the second area is the area of our temper. How we manage our emotions. Verse 26 to 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And when we read the Bible very well, we know that the Bible has a lot of warnings against anger. Many words that the Bible says against anger. It says, uh, refrain from anger. In the book of Proverbs, it says, anger dwells in the bosom of fools. In fact, you even want us not to be a friend with the man that is always given to anger. Say to don't be a friend with an angry man to a furious man thou shalt not go lest you become like him and become snares for your soul and this same Ephesians 4 verse 31 also tells us to get rid of anger by the time we get to that get rid verse 31 get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But at the same time, the Lord also recognizes that we have emotions, and that's part of our humanity. But the new life in Christ is a life of a transformed emotions. Emotions have been transformed to be more loving. I know when we love people, Love covers multitude of sins. You become less angry with people that you really love. And loving people will make us overlook their faults and to accommodate them in their lives, in our lives. And that's why the Bible says love is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. That's First Corinthians 13.5. Speaking about love, say it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. When you love people, you don't dwell on the wrong things that they do to you, and you don't easily get angry with them. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. Like Romans 5 5 says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given unto us. So when we find ourselves getting angry, we should not sin. Because that's what the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. We should not sin by losing control and letting our emotions control us. We should not sin by saying wrong things and doing wrong things. We should not sin by allowing the sun to go down while we are still angry. That means by not forgiving quickly, by dwelling on things that have been done to us, 
Because when we lose self-control of our temper, it opens the door for the devil to take control of the situation. And we can see stories of different people that when they lose control of their own emotion, the devil comes in and takes control. Homes have been broken. We have seen murder cases. We have seen relationships destroyed because of a moment of hunger. When men lose control and allow the devil to take control. That's why I love the way the New Living Translation translates 26 and 27. It says, NLT, and do not sin but by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. The Bible wants us to be people of transformed emotions. Because self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we should take off the garment of bad temper and put on the garment of love and self-control. We should be slow to hunger and not speak and act in anger. For whatever is done in anger cannot produce the righteousness of God. And James 1, 19-20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And Bible says we should walk in the ways of righteousness. So the third one is the area of trustworthiness. Trustworthiness, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must walk doing something useful with their own hands. Now they may have something to share with those in need. That means anyone who has been taking advantage of others by taking what belongs to them without their permission should start working with their own hands to meet their own needs. But not only to meet their own needs, but also meet the needs of other people. And that's a transformed life. Someone that that is just taking from someone is not being instructed to learn to give to others. And that's a transformation that happens to people in Christ. Because a child of God should be trustworthy with the possession of others and also with God's given resources, even what we work for with our own hands. He no longer lives on others. Or for himself only. But he lives sacrificially to meet the need of others also. Even in a place of work, in the society, a Christian should be trustworthy and be a reliable employee to the glory of God. And that's what is written in 
book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Urge bond servants to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be pleasing and not talk back. Not stealing things regardless of their values. But proving themselves trustworthy. So that in every respect they will adorn and do credit to the teaching of God our Savior. I remember I have an uncle. He is a good Christian that his life always inspired me. In the midst of corruption, he's an accountant. They always look for him to put him in charge of money. Because they know that if you put him there, it will be safe. They can put everybody everywhere. And everyone has worked in his life. He has been in charge of big projects. Many people have gone to the same place and enriched themselves. Though he suffered for it, but at the end of the day, everybody knows him. If you mention his name, and more people that know him, the only thing they would remember of him is, in the midst of corruption, just throw him there. He's a child of God. Whatever you put in his hands will be safe. And that's who we should be as children of God. So a child of God works not only to support himself or herself, but also to be generous to others, to other believers in need. So say so let him walk that may give something to someone in need. The resource that the Lord has given to us is not only for us, but also to help others in need. And that's something that Paul stressed in Acts 20, 33, 35, when it was um, to 35, when it was addressing the Ephesian elders. He said, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So he that has been taking advantage of others should now be trustworthy to work for himself and also give to those in need. And the fourth area is the area of our tongue. Verse 29. I'm reading from Amplified again. It said, Do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good for building others, building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. When we speak, our words should be a word of blessing to others, a word to edify people, to build them up, not on awesome words, not worthless words, no vulgar words, no curses, not speaking like the people of this world. Someone said one of the things that I has noticed when people become a Christian, 
is that all the cause, all the swear words that they used to say, consciously without even telling them, they start putting them aside. Because they have become people of transformed, transformed language, transformed tongue. They speak now to the glory of God. So a Christian should be a person with a transformed tongue that uses his mouth to the glory of God. The words we speak should build people up and not bring them down. We should allow the Holy Spirit and Scripture to transform our speech. And we should learn to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. And you must look at that scriptures. What it's telling us to do is to speak the right thing. Say only such speech as is good for building others, for building up others. So we have to say the right thing every time and at the right time according to the need and the occasion right things at the right time and in the right way so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak I think we should always remind ourselves of this when we want to say something to people is it the right thing to say is it the right time about communicating such in the right way because let us remember that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can lift people up or bring them down by what we say to them. And we shall also bear the consequences of what we say. Proverbs 18.21 from Amplified Version again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruits and bear the consequences of their words. The fifth one is the area of thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now many times when things happen we always talk about how I feel about it. Doesn't he know, does she know how I feel about it? But do you always think how God feels about what we do or what we say? Do we think about does he give pleasure to God or will he grieve the Spirit of God? Our words, our actions, even our inactions. The Bible says he that knows how to do good but does not do it to him the same. Who are in actions? Are we thoughtful enough to always consider if God is okay with what we do and what we say? Because when we think deep on how close God is with us, that God is actually dwelling inside of us through His Spirit, even when no one is there, he knows what we say and he sees what we do. And that will guide us not to walk in the way of unrighteousness. Because if we don't put off all these garments that the word of God says we should put off, we'll be grieving the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit is grieved when we live in sin. And do not put on the new man. 
We grieve the Holy Spirit when we are not truthful, when we lose control of our temper, and as a result we sin and allow anger to linger, and we become unforgiving. When we are not trustworthy with resources of others, and God-given resources, when we misuse our tongues, and when we don't show tenderness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what makes the Holy Spirit, grieves the Holy Spirit, is actually the way we live. That's why I love the NLT translation of the same verse 13. I'll read from NLT now. It says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, so think about it, be thoughtful about it. Remember, He has identified you as His own. Guaranteeing guarantee that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And the scripture gave us an example of Israel. God loved them. He did everything for them. But they rebelled against His word and they grieved the spirits. Because you can only grieve the person that loves you. So Isaiah 63, verse 8 to 10, speaking about Israel now. He said, that's God saying, He said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. So he became their savior. In all that distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Through that grieved Spirit of God, they raised the judgment of God. So when we rebel against the word of God and align with the sinful word in our values, in our ways, we bring grief to the Spirit of God. Just as a rebellious child brings grief to the parents. When parents are training a child, giving all the values to the child, all of a sudden, the child just decides to rebel against all the training, all the, all the mentoring. It brings grief to the parents. The same thing we do to our Heavenly Father when we rebel against Him. And that's why James 4, 4 to 5, warns us. says, you adulterers, from NIT again, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They said that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. God wants us to be faithful to him. The new man in us, God wants us to be faithful to him. And the last area is the area of tenderness. Tenderness. How to be tender with one another. Verse 31 to 32. They get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
and you see the word that's being used here, all, get rid of all, all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We have to put off being harsh with people and be tender-hearted to one another. We need to be tender in the way we talk to people and the way we talk about them, even when they are not there. We need to put on kindness and compassion. We know that we are people from different backgrounds and from different personalities. We are bound to offend one another. But the Bible says we should be tender. We should forgive. We should forbear. We must love and overlook the faults of others. We must always remember that God forgave us all our sins in Christ. And we must pass on the same forgiveness to others. He says we should forgive just as in Christ God forgave us. No sin should be too big to forgive when repentance has taken place. And forgiveness has no limit after repentance. So Luke 17, 3-4. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you, you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Whenever I read this place, I always remember the reaction of the apostles to Christ. Lord, increase our faith. That's verse 5 of Luke 17. Because it needs the help of God, but that's the way of God. That's what God wants for us to do. And we must walk towards that. Because that's the desire of God for our lives. And the Lord said, if we don't forgive others, we ourselves will not be forgiven by Heavenly Father. So, children of God must be that forgiving, that given to forgiving others, knowing what God has done for us in Christ. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a danger in living with bitterness. There's a danger in not forgiving other people. We should always remember that we sin so much God forgave us in Christ. And now, when we sin and we go to God, He always forgives us. And we should be able to pass on that forgiveness to other people. We grieve the Holy Spirit while we don't forgive our brothers and sisters. Knowing how much the Lord has forgiven us. And if you remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, that owed so much. And the master 
forgive him of everything that he hold. Another servant hold him so little and could not forgive. And because of that, his master was grieved and brought judgment on him. Matthew 18, 32-35 Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And the Lord concluded, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. If we don't forgive, we invite God's judgment to ourselves. In conclusion, Jesus Christ did not lower the bar of standard of righteousness, of righteous living, when he saved us. What we can see in scripture is that Christ actually raised the bar of righteousness. But he also supplied the grace to lift men up, to meet up with that standard. Free spirits and his word. And that's work of grace in our life. Of course, we cannot achieve all these things by our own power. We can only achieve them through the help of the Spirit of God. When God tells us to do something, it's because He has made provisions. I think it's in Second Peter one three that says He has given us all things that we require for a godly living. God gives us the grace, and that's why He's saying, "Do this." Because he's always there for us. Philippians 2.14 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to feel his good pleasure. It is the work of God in us. I remember the preceding verse, that's that Philippians 2.13 speaks about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the minute the instruction went out, this one follows to know that when God says work it out, it's not said that you should depend on your strength. It's said that we should depend on Him. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to feel His good pleasure. And this calls for prayer. We should always learn to go to God to empower us, to equip us to do His will. So let us, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, live a life that measures up the standard that God, that God set when He called us by putting off the old sinful nature and putting on the new nature. And I'm closing with Ephesians 4.1 from the Good News Translation. It says, I heard you then, I who am a prisoner because I serve the Lord, live a life that measures up to the standard 
that God sent when he called you. Let us pray. Lord, we bless you. We appreciate you for your word, for your instructions. We know that we are not sufficient in ourselves to measure up to the standard that you set when you called us. But our sufficiency comes from you. You have given us us your spirit, the spirit of grace, to live in us. You have given us your word. Lord, we know that you are the one working in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, we pray that you help us to keep our heart focused on on the way you want us to live. Help us so that we may make every effort cooperating with your Holy Spirit to put off the whole self and put on the new self. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.